0: We begin in Second Timothy with guarding the gospel, then we moved to chapter 2, and we looked at suffering for the gospel, then we moved on to continuing the gospel, and now we are proclaiming the gospel. We'll spend two weeks, and next week we'll end this series with communion together. So if you're taking notes, you can write at the top, continue, or I'm sorry, to proclaim the gospel. If you knew that your days were limited, that any day, now that you would pass from this life on into eternity, and hopefully that you're confident that you would be with Jesus Christ in eternity, and you could leave something behind, you know, maybe it'd be a letter, or in these days you could record a little video uh, from your phone, and you could leave it behind to family members and to friends and to the church, what would you say? What would you encourage them with? How would you challenge them? What are the most important words that you could write down, that you could etch for them so that they could keep this letter or keep this video and watch it over and over again? And and that's what we have with 2 Timothy. This is the last letter that Paul wrote. Paul is sitting in a prison cell, and it's cold, it's damp. At any time, he will be called forward uh, to be beheaded for Christ, uh, for his love for Jesus. He's guilty of loving Jesus too much. And so he writes this letter to Timothy and and you would just imagine anything he could write about. I mean, social issues, things going on with family, just frustrations he may have. Just think of all the things that we would write in a letter. But this is what he pens for Timothy. And as we get to the end of this letter, it begins to pick up more and more. This challenge of like his parting words, like his last words he could leave for Timothy. And it's to proclaim the gospel. And so that's where we pick up today. We, we, we take this text and, and we're going to dissect the text. We're going to go from verse to verse and, and, and glean as much as we can this morning from this letter that Paul writes to Timothy as it's coming to a close. And so the first question I ask for you today, is: are you proclaiming the gospel with urgency, authority, and care? Are you, are you proclaiming the gospel with urgency and authority and care? We look back At verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the head of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is how he's ending his letter to Timothy. And Paul charges Timothy in front of God and Jesus to preach the word. He said, Hey, don't, don't do it for me. It's not that you're preaching Paul's gospel. You're preaching the gospel that God has extended. So you preach with him as your witness, as Jesus Christ as your witness. Preach for the one that has called you and set you apart from your old life, who will appear again, who will judge you faithful and will usher you in to his kingdom. This is the one who has called you. This is the gospel message that you are to preach. As Paul wrote to a group of churches in Galatia, he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is true, this revelation that came as he was blinded by the light of Jesus Christ and then he was carried by hand as he was blind and then he received his sight and then he was filled with this knowledge, with this wisdom through Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the gospel that Paul passed on to Timothy and that Timothy is to continue to pass on and to preach, not of man, but of Jesus Christ. Whether the audience is of one or 100 or 1,000, he is to continue to proclaim the gospel message and all for God's glory. For this reason, Timothy will not be easily offended if someone comes to him and says, I don't like your message. Well, it's not for you that I preach the message. It is for Christ. And so his approval is what matters. I will continue on. So if this offends you, it's the gospel message that offends you. It's not me. And so I'm going to keep plowing on and and, and understand this, Christians, that as we proclaim the gospel throughout the world and in this country, there will be people who will be greatly offended. In fact, not only will they be offended, but they will say that you are wrong for what you teach if you hold to the whole biblical text. And this is an encouragement for Timothy. This is an encouragement for us to preach the gospel which God has instilled within us and through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's under God's authority that we must preach the gospel to all people. All people, across all lands, throughout all of the world that we go. That's why we go on mission trips. That's why we send out missionaries. That's why we go to all parts of town, for all people to hear the gospel message. Everyone in this room, the gospel is relevant to you in your life. It's not for one group of people. It wasn't just for the Israelites, but later it will come for all people, for Jews and Gentiles alike. Because all of humanity will be on trial before Christ in the highest court system. And each person, the living and the dead, will have to give testimony for his or her life. That's you, that's me. That's those who are dead in their sins, those who are alive in Christ. All of us must stand in judgment. Where there are no second chances, no parole hearings, no good behavior in hopes of shortening one's sentence. No, we all have substantial evidence stacked against us to convict us to the eternal lake of fire. All of us, if we stand without Christ and we stand before the Lord guilty, substantial evidence against us. Those who are dead in their sins will remain in their sins, separated from the love of God forever, never having the opportunity to hear the gospel message again. Do you understand the urgency of why we must let people know of the gospel right now? But there is good news for those who are alive in Christ because that's bad news For those who are not in Christ. And it's real news. I mean, it's not some fairy tale. You know, when we think of eternity, sometimes we think that it's just some fairy tale land out there and that maybe God was just kidding about hell. No, He's not kidding about hell. He's just as serious about hell as He is about heaven. And that's bad news for those who do not repent and follow Jesus. But for those who do repent and follow Christ, as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, He will recognize His beloved, He will recognize you. As one that he knows. As one that he has purchased with his blood. As we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I love this uh, picture that I saw this week of a dad. Um, he did wear biker shorts underneath. I don't know if you saw this. He walked in Walmart with his daughter, and he wore some Daisy Duke cut-off jean shorts. Okay? He walked in, and he wrote on the back of his shirt, he says, this is because my daughter, you know, to some effect, thinks it's cute to wear short shorts. You know, and it's my body, Dad. I can do what I want to. So he thought he'd go teach her a lesson. I don't think I'll be teaching my boys that lesson. Okay? Um, but the point is, you, you hear it all the time, it's my body. I can do what I want to. I can dress the way I want to. I can act the way I want to. I can go where I want to. It's my body. But those who have been found in Christ, those who have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, it's not your body. It's Christ. You're his. You're his beloved one. And we as the living, the blood-purchased body of Christ, are to live for the glory of God. And when we face judgment, Christ will recognize us. Will he recognize you? Just as we were on his mind when he went to the cross and was judged guilty for all of our sin, once again he will remember us and judge us not guilty as if we had never, ever sinned. Are you on his mind? Will you be recognized by him on the day of judgment? There must be an urgency to spread the gospel message with us understanding this information because jesus will return for his church and reign throughout eternity jesus is coming back does that excite you church does it excite you that jesus may come back does it excite you that your plans for your life may be interrupted by that trumpet sound and jesus coming back to gather his church together or do you think oh wait a second god I mean, I'm, I'm excited about eternity, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm excited about, you know, a new heaven and a new earth, but I'm also excited about getting married, you know. I'm also excited about finishing college. I'm also excited about some retirement. You know, let me, let me enjoy what I've worked hard for. I mean, if Jesus were to come back now and interrupt your plans, are you okay with that in your present situation? Come on back, Jesus, I'm ready. Do you eagerly await his return? Because mixed with this urgency, there is a longing for his appearing, and nothing should trump the great hope and joy of Jesus Christ returning. Nothing should override that excitement. By his appearing, the word in the Greek, epiphania, it it has two special meanings, two special ways in which it was used. One, for the clear intervention of some God, but the second, it was especially used in connection with the Roman emperor. When the emperor was due to visit any place, everything was put in perfect order. The streets were swept and decorated, ready for the emperor to come. Everything was in perfect order. There was preparation. And for us, you know, we know that he is appearing. He will come back, meaning that we must be prepared and we must be sweeping the streets and decorating, meaning that we must be prepared with sharing the gospel day after day after day, being the most prepared that we can for when he comes back, knowing that he could come back at any moment, we must daily evaluate our lives to ensure that we are making the way for the king's return. And Jesus will return when his kingdom is fully prepared. We see in John 14, 1 through 3, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you to go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So he's preparing this great place. All the plans are in place for us for Christ's return. And not only that, as followers of Christ, our homeland, our homeland is God's kingdom. That's our home. This isn't our homeland. Okay, yes, we protect our land. I am grateful for the men and women who risk their lives. How dare anyone from the United States that would drive down a street and hang a flag upside down to prove a point and not show gratitude for the ones who have fought for their country. I'm grateful for this country that I live in, but this is not my home. And Christian, this isn't your home. That's reality. We will live in eternity much longer than we will ever live in this land. And this isn't our homeland, but God's kingdom is our homeland in Philippians 3 verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Do you get that? All things are going to be made new. Your body's going to be made new. Can we get an amen for that, right? A, a new body, all right? A glorified body, one that does not sin, one that does not have wicked intentions, one that does not have his desires for self, but desires glory for the Lord for all of eternity. That's our new self. And we will be part of God's kingdom reigning forever. So with God and Jesus as witness, and based on the realities of the judgment to come, proceed by the appearing of Christ and followed by his reign for eternity. Timothy is to preach the gospel. I am to preach the gospel as one called to preach. But all of us are called to proclaim the gospel message every day. And we all love to share news, right? I mean, we all have access to our own news sources now. I mean, I find myself watching YouTube videos more than I do TV. I mean, it's all reality TV anyway these days. And the other day I I went home. I said, Curry, you got to watch these videos. They're hilarious. She didn't think they were funny. I did. so. But we just find methods of getting news out there. If we find something out on the news, we want to rush and go tell someone, hey, did you hear what's going on over there across the seas? Did you hear what's going on with the, the new flight inspection? Or... You know, we get on Facebook and and there we tell everyone, hey... I'm engaged. Look at the ring, you know, and you take pictures of the ring and all the awkward poses, you know, I mean, everything. And then you say, hey, you know, we, we have a baby on the way and we're so excited. Everybody be praying for us and everybody's liking and, and writing comments. Oh, precious and that's wonderful. And then a couple months later, then it's the big baby reveal. Okay, is it a boy or a girl? And then some people with judgment saying, we waited until the baby came out before we decided. Okay, and so, I mean, it doesn't matter. And then you just get the news out there. And then when the baby is born, the poor thing can't even get cleaned up before there's a picture and snap for all the world to see we're excited to get information out there maybe you're one of those food connoisseurs that loves to take pictures of your food right that's you okay would you just look at the asparagus right i mean it's like you want everybody to see your food and you get the news out there for everyone to see we love sharing news but what what about when it comes to the good news of jesus christ man do we love sharing that news That's valuable news. I mean, do we get on and say, can I just share with you what God has revealed to me through his word today? Boom, I don't care who likes it. I don't care who gets offended. There it is for all the world to see. Do we speak it with our mouths? Do we live it with our lives? Do we proclaim the gospel? You know, when you see this word preach in the English translation, we think of of someone like me standing up here and, and preaching before you right now. That's the picture that you get, but that's not the picture that Timothy would have in mind. The picture for him would be an imperial herald, a spokesman of the emperor, proclaiming with authoritative manner the message of which the emperor gave him to announce, like a town official who would make a proclamation In a public gathering, the message was to obeyed at once. The emperor is coming. This is his message. We are to obey this message. With authority, we give this message. Timothy was charged to preach with authority as a spokesman for the king. For he was to preach under the authority of King Jesus. That was his message for what Jesus had set before him through his word. He was to go and preach in Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's telling this to the disciples before they go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's saying all authority has been given to me. So now I'm giving you this authority to go. He's given us authority to proclaim the message. So we shouldn't apologize. We shouldn't be timid. Now, we ought to handle it with care But why are we so intimidated when it comes to speaking about Jesus? Why not be bold? Understand, our authority comes from King Jesus. We're his messengers. As John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus' earthly ministry Behold the King, here he comes. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. We are to prepare the way for the return of Jesus Christ. That's our job. And we have the authority from Jesus Christ. The spokesman had to be ready to make the proclamation at any moment in any season. There was no closed season for preaching. You have your favorite seasons, whether it's the fall, whether it's the spring, whether it's summer, or with the short winters that we have here, your favorite hobbies. And some of you love to hunt, and, and you really go into a state of depression the day that that hunting season is over. There's no depression here for stopping sharing the gospel. The gospel's never closed. We always share the gospel message. The passion and zeal that one possesses in the proclamation of the gospel should never be measured by the size of an audience, whether big or small, whether one person or a thousand people. We should always be ready where the times are tough or where times are good. We should speak the gospel in all seasons, never giving up. We should never take time off. Maybe right now you're taking time off say, man, I just need a break from everything, even Christianity. You know, I'm I'm old this time, right? Because I've worked so hard and I've gone through so much and surely God will understand. God will understand that you need time off from spreading His glory. God doesn't understand that. God doesn't agree with that. God doesn't put a stamp of approval on that and say, yeah, that's okay. I understand. Bless your heart. No. You are to carry the message every day, in season and out of season. Whether things are good, whether things... Or bad, and the message is not for entertainment purposes. It's not for entertainment purposes. God forgive us, where we try to entertain with the gospel, where we try to have catchy slogans, where we try to have catchy message um, messages and, 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 and packaging them all nice and neat so that people will want to come. We're trying to make Christianity exciting. And what happens when we do that? We take the gospel out of it and we become an entertainment business. We're not here to entertain, we're here to preach the gospel because it's the gospel that convicts. It's the gospel that turns that hard heart into a soft heart. And if we're here to entertain and to make everybody feel light and fluffy, what are we achieving? We're only helping people sin more. And so it's, it's not for entertainment, but to reprove and to rebuke and to exhort. So before you get this idea that we preach uh, fire and brimstone, hell all the time, understand that's a reality. But we are to exhort as well. But to reprove means to expose. So that's what the Word does. When you walk in here neatly dressed, you can put a smile and everybody can see you and think you have it together. And I know that you don't have it together. All together. You're a work in progress, every single one of you. Anybody in here who says, I've got it all together? No. Either you're not seeing something or you're just denying it. And we get behind closed doors and we begin to talk and there it comes. It it all is spilled out. But here's what the gospel message does. It exposes your life. It opens you up and it exposes all your wickedness, all your sinful cravings. It exposes the deep-rooted sin in our lives which leads to confession, which then produces healing. Man discovers his need for Jesus when he comes face-to-face with his wickedness. You understand that? When he comes face-to-face with his wickedness, wickedness, leading towards salvation or further sanctification. So today... You may be lost in your sins and you are completely wicked. Like if we were to examine your heart right now, it's just dark. It's cold. It's depraved. It's only craving what it wants. Nothing for God's glory. You can do good things or bad things. None of them impress God because none of it's for his glory. That is your position right now before God. And if you were to die right now, you would be separated from him for all of eternity. And, and, and that would be a just God putting that punishment upon you because you have sinned against him. You have offended Him. That's what's most important, not offending people, but offending God. Maybe, church, we should get over this whole offending anybody else, and we should be concerned about us offending God by our silence. And so getting back to the sinner who is here today, you have fallen short just like all of us in this room. You have failed God. And so when you stand before Him, you stand condemned to hell. But when the Word is preached, and you hear the Word today, the good news, that you can be a follower of Jesus Christ, it exposes that wickedness in your life, and you come face to face with it and say, Jesus, you're the only one who can wipe away this wickedness from my life. I need you, Jesus. Or for the one who is a follower of Christ and here today, it's a continuing of your salvation, a sanctification, putting all the pieces back together working out your salvation so that you grow in Christ so that your goal would be to look more and more like Jesus every day. That's your goal. And so that's what the Word does. It exposes us so that we will either go towards salvation or further sanctification. And then to rebuke, which means to charge, to send out a warning for all to hear. It's the warning sound of repentance. Follow Christ. It is when we get away from the preaching of the word that man begins to think that he's not so bad. You want to think that you're good? Get away from the word. You'll think that you're great. You can listen to society and everybody's going to say that you're good. But they don't care about your spiritual state before God. They would rather choose to ignore it so that nobody will offend each other. Let's just all be friends until our rights contradict one another. His dependency on Christ begins to dwindle. Instead of being broken by his sin and built up in Christ, he embraces his sin, makes exceptions for his sin, and then becomes defensive in regards to his sin. You see that? You uh, embrace your sin. Then you make exceptions. Well, this is why I did that. Well, you know, it's not okay for them, but it's okay for me. And you may never say that. Those words may never come out of your mouth, but you think it. You think, you think that you're, you're entitled to look at something or behave in some manner or entertain some other lady besides your wife because you deserve it. But nobody else can, but you can. And you begin to make exceptions. And then from there, you become defensive in regards to your sin. Either you can repent, you can become defensive. You can run or you can kneel. All of us need the rebuke. I received the rebuke all week long. This text that I'm preaching from, rebuke all week long. The alarm going off, revealing things in my life, how I can look more and more like Jesus each day so that when I come to preach and when you come to proclaim the gospel, that we would do so in humility and not in our self-righteousness, but no, in humility, that we would speak with Christ righteousness. And the proclamation of the gospel should be carried out with exhortation, This word means to urge, to call on, on, on one side, come, come alongside me to encourage. The gospel message brings transformation and we are the message bearers. We ask people to come alongside of us. We proclaim this message and we should not get in the way of the message by forcing the message upon someone. You cannot force the gospel upon someone. And sometimes we, we push people away because we think that if we just keep pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding the gospel message, you got to get saved, you got to get saved, you got to get saved, that they're finally going to become a Christian. And, and we keep pushing them off, pushing them off, using no discernment by the Holy Spirit of the right time and opportunities in which He gives us. We must be careful of this, but we must exhort, but also just the self-righteous attitudes that we as Christians can carry. non believers can sniff that a mile away. Thinking that you're better than them, that you've attained some life, some secret life, and that's how they look at it, some secret life that you now have that makes you better than me. When you share the gospel, you look and say, hey, I failed just as you failed. We've all failed. We need Jesus. He's the champion. But that attitude that you see from people sometimes, that self-righteous attitude, you don't stand a chance with people. If you want to go before them and let them see that you're perfect, no, be honest with them. Let them know that the only way you can be declared perfect is through Jesus Christ. And we are all the same. We are all dead at one time in in the first Adam, and we all desperately need life through the second Adam, Jesus Christ. That's what we have in common church. And so as we reprove and rebuke and exhort, it must be done with patience and teaching. This word patience, macrothymia, means it describes the spirit which never becomes irritated, never despairs, and never regards anyone as beyond salvation. Patience. Don't write somebody off because you've shared the gospel with them and they denied you, or they laughed at you, or they cursed you, or they spat in your face. Don't write them off. Don't lose patience. Continue with endurance to share with them. Let them see it in your life. If it's at work, live it out each day. If it's in the home, serve as Christ. Let them see Jesus alive in you. Do not lose patience with people. It's never too late. If it wasn't too late for you, it's not too late for them. If you can come to Christ, they can come to Christ. Don't write them off. And so we have this great patience. And then also we study the word so that we may teach others the word. It's not enough. Church, it's not enough to tell them where they're wrong. Hey, you're wrong for this. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't no. Share with them. Teach them what is right behavior. That's what they need to hear. If there is conviction, but no remedy, we add to people's burdens. We just pile it on as if we're living in the land of don't doville. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't say this. Don't think that. It's It's a bunch of don't do's. And they're sitting there saying, what can I do? This is no fun. I mean, what life do I have? I thought I was set free or could be set free. What does that mean? Show them what you can be and what you can do in Christ. Teach them. That's why you must learn the word so that you can go teach others the word. It's called discipleship. And if we encourage those who ought to be rebuked, we are assisting them to sin. So if we go on the other end and say, you know what? Yeah, I would call that out, but I'm not afraid to offend them. You have to find the balance. You have to find the balance. It's to rebuke in love. It's to call it out when you see it, but it's to not just call it out for everything that they're wrong. Let them know what could be in its place. The world needs to know that what they're living is not eternal life. It's not truly living. It's death. And they need to know what life is all about. So are you proclaiming the gospel with authority with urgency and with great care. Which leads us to the next question. Are you growing in the gospel? Or are you wasting away in your own passions? Are you growing in the gospel? Are you wasting away in your own passions? Paul warns Timothy that discouraging times are ahead and should be expected. People will seek gratification over sanctification, meaning fulfilling their own needs over following what Christ sets before them. These desires come from a heart defect that all of us carry producing symptoms of sinful behavior due to a heart that receives and pumps out sin. Sin runs through your veins. The only remedy is the gospel. When did sin begin to run through your veins? The moment you first sinned? No, you were born with it. You were born with it. There are many who would object that and say, no, that can't be true. How can that be true? I'll tell you why it's true, because Jesus couldn't be born of a man. There's your point right there. Jesus had to be born of a woman and and the seed of the Holy Spirit placed upon her. He was the only one who did not come from Adam in the sin line where sin runs through his veins, through his heart. Jesus Christ was pure. So we all have this heart problem. The word sound means, a sound teaching, it means healthy and wholesome that we see in verse 3. The problem can be detected when treated with healthy teaching. But simple man would rather pretend like there's nothing wrong with him. I'm okay. You know that stubborn person that will never go to the doctor? I mean, they're sick, they're coughing all the time, they say, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. We, we see that in the spiritual world. We see that in a spiritual sense. Let me say it that way. Where people say, I'm fine, there's nothing wrong with me, there's nothing wrong with me, but there's a great problem with them. It's their sin. He surrounds himself with favorable company, those that think like him and say that he is fine just the way he is. Hey, let's rally together and let's all have a a, a same opinion. You're seeing it all around us. And he listens to favorable teaching, supporting his craving for wanting to be God or deny God or help God, as we talked about last week. So he fills his life. She fills her life with favorable teaching of all of what her sinful heart wants. So how do we know when someone is wandering off? You want to know if you've wandered off? Here it is. Here's how you can know if you've wandered off. Your beliefs and convictions are in opposition to God's word. Things that you say contradict according to God's word. That's how you know that you've wandered off. You've gotten away from the truth. And the only way to make them fit with God's word is to erase passages of scripture and or replace them with more modern thinking. Let's just take it out. Let's just pretend that it's not there. This is happening within the church. We're seeing this now. It's, it's continued. There's been cycles of this, but they want to take the word and pretend that certain scriptures aren't there and we'll replace it and say, you know what? That doesn't relate to us in today's time. It's always the chasing the newest teaching. There's got to be something new out there besides the Bible. I mean, after all, isn't the Bible old and it's not relevant for today? Well, you know what? The Bible is old. It's older than any of us in this room. And to me, that just proves that it's true, that it's made it through the years and it's old. And you know what? This word's going to outlast you on this earth. It's going to keep going. It's going to keep getting passed on. I mean, you're going to live your days and you're going to pass on into eternity. The word of God stands forever. It keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going. It goes forth. So, yeah, it's old, but it's relevant for today. It's always been relevant. Because man's ultimate problem is his sin. No matter what type of technology we have out there, no matter what error we're living in, we have a sin problem. So we must proclaim the gospel before they wander off into myths, moving from deception to destruction. This wander off, ektrepo trepo, means to turn or to twist. It means to... Medically, it means out of adjustment, out of line, dislocated from the truth, broken. A couple of years ago, I was playing disc golf of all things. Disc golf and sprained my ankle, the worst I ever have. I was embarrassed to tell anybody how I sprained my ankle playing disc golf. It is a brutal sport, by the way. And I remember just looking at my ankle, and for two months, it was of no good. And that's how we find ourselves, out of alignment, twisted up, the wandering off. We're ineffective. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for... The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Folly. It's a joke. But to those, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For some, it's folly. For others, it's power. Is the word of God power in your life? Second Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This is God who sends the delusion. You know that means? That if today you're hearing the truth and you just put it off, be careful. You just don't put off the truth. If what you're hearing today respond in faith, don't just shut it off. Are you hearing the truth today? That you may repent and follow Jesus, understanding that you are a sinner. And that what Jesus Christ did for you, he's the only one who could do that on the cross. And he's the only way that we can have salvation and be united with God. Paul instructs Timothy to set himself apart and to remain sober-minded, which means grounded in the Word, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Church, capture this. Stay sober-minded. You know, if we were to talk about being sober from alcohol, it would mean to be uh, abstinent from alcohol, to abstain from it. Say no more alcohol. Let's just not put anything in our body, any type of alcohol. But when it comes to sober-minded and following Christ, it means to fill your mind. Not just to be absent, not just to get all thoughts out of you, but no, to fill yourself with Christ. Because if you empty yourself, you're open prey for the enemy. Remain sober-minded, grounded in the word, church. Endure suffering. He's telling this to Timothy, endure suffering, which means be sustained in God's grace. No matter what you go through, endure it. Do you understand? You'll hear messages out there to say, if you're going through hard times, you're not right with the Lord. But when you look to God's word, you'll understand that there is persecution for those who follow Jesus Christ. You will endure tough times and that you will rely upon the sustaining grace of God each day to uphold you. He says, do the work of an evangelist, which means just go advance the gospel, personal evangelism. Speak, Jesus, may it be real in your life and fulfill your ministry, which means to give evidence that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Hang with me here. It means to give evidence. When people look at your life, do they see the evidence, full proof, that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Do they see that? Give full proof. All of this summed up, it means obedience. 1 Peter 1 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I could save this for next week, but you know what? Let's, let's, let's cross it right now. Amen? Good? Didn't hear a lot of amens. Okay, I'm going anyway. All right, just going for it. Will people say of you he poured out his life for Christ's sake? That's what I want to end on today. Will people say of you that you were poured out for Christ's sake? That your life was lived out for Christ. Paul's saying, I'm already being poured out as a, a drink offering. In the Roman meal, it ended with a kind of sacrifice. A cup of wine was taken and was poured out to the gods. It is as if Paul were saying, the day is ended. It is time to rise and go, and my life must be poured out as a sacrifice to God. There's also a picture from the Old Testament sacrificial system where one with pour out during the ritual of a sacrificing of a lamb. Wine was poured out at the base of the altar. Paul's life as a believer was about sacrificial service. Is your life about sacrificial service. All about Jesus Christ. Suffering for his sake, making his name known. That is your desire every day. Is that your desire every day? Sacrificial service, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto him. Philippians 1.23, Paul said, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And the time has come where he doesn't have a decision anymore. And he didn't have a decision then. He had to be patient until his time came. He knows that it's far better to be with Christ. His time of suffering is ended. He is standing at the finish line. His departure has come. It is the picture of hoisting up the anchor in the ship setting sail. Paul is sailing into eternity. His life's not being taken from him, he's giving his life. Just as Jesus, his life wasn't taken from him, he gave his life. The other picture is of taking down a tent, which Paul would be familiar with because he was a tent maker. And the tent had holes in it and it was no longer of any purpose. It had finished its purpose and it's been taken down. And now Paul will dwell under God's reign. The new kingdom that is to come. He's finished competing. He has fought the good fight. He has finished the race. He has kept the faith. And now he is awaiting his reward. It's as if he has finished his race. He's he's getting ready to stand up on the platform. He's waiting for his wreath, his crown of righteousness, which means to be in right standing before the Lord forever. Righteousness being given to you. And to hear the song of his homeland, To God be the glory, glorifying God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because God's going to get the praise for the race that he just ran. And he's going to stand at the end. He's standing at the end and he's past the finish line. I mean, any day he could die. He knows that his time is done. And he's looking to Timothy. He says, man, run well, finish strong. Come on, be like me. He's offering up his eulogy right here. He's saying, hey, if you want something to preach at my funeral, here it is. Tell people that I ran the race. I fought the good fight. Man, I finished. I kept the faith till the end. I've been poured out. Will that be said of you? In the time when you pass from this life into eternity. Colossians one or 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I love this quote and we end on this. If you want to be faithful to the end, there are no shortcuts in the middle. There are no shortcuts. Sacrificial life. Are you proclaiming the gospel with urgency, authority, and care? Are you growing in the gospel or are you wasting away in your own passions? Will people say of you, He poured out His life for Christ's sake? Church, proclaim the gospel. These eight verses, full text here, so much to be gleaned. I encourage you to continue to read this week. Go back over your notes, go back, read over, pray over, ask yourself these questions. But at this time, as we come to our time of response, we have a time of response because if you're hearing the gospel message, you feel a call to faith, you want to talk to somebody about Jesus, repent and follow Jesus, we make ourselves available. So we're going to be standing on the back wall, pastors and and counselors, we're going to be right back there. And so what you heard today, understanding that you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm an enemy of Christ. And you've heard this gospel message, understanding that we can stand before Jesus one day because of what he did for us on the cross. He's the only way we can live a sacrificial life, pleasing God in all things. That's what we strive for. You can have salvation in Jesus Christ today by repenting and following Jesus. We would love to talk with you more about this. There is nothing, nothing more important than that right there. Just a moment. We'll be standing right back there. You come, you you come back there and talk with us. To those of you who are interested in church membership, Check out the membership dates, uh, uh, perimeter basics that we have coming in May 4th. But if you want to talk more about membership and what it requires and what's going on in your life, or you have something right now that you're hiding in your life, sin that has been revealed today, conviction from the word, you've been exposed today, come talk to us. We would love to follow up with you. Maybe God just leads you into a time of prayer at this time that you would come up here and pray or at your seat you would pray or or you would sing. However God so leads you, you respond. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, a full message today. So hard to to leave things out, Lord, as we come to a close of this series. But Lord, we thank you that we have your word before us. May we enjoy your word. God, may we treasure your commands. May we hide your word in our hearts so we may not sin against you. Father, may we proclaim the gospel message. Lord, may we get the good news out there. Lord, may we do so with authority. Lord, may we do so with an urgency. Father, may we do so with great care. Father, may we not be so consumed with what man thinks and man's authority, but that we would live under the authority of the King Jesus. So Lord, I ask the conviction comes upon this place today. Lord, you would draw hearts to yourself. Lord, that you would make those cold stone hearts become soft, Lord, to receive your word, your truth. Lord, I pray for the church, any disobedience among us, Lord, that it would be called out through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, there would be true confession, which leads to further sanctification, further looking more like Jesus each day. So Lord, we thank you. We love you. We give you to praise in Jesus' name. Amen.